Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we talk about the 39 and 43 Detroit Pistons with a very special guest, James Edwards III of The Athletic. James and I had a great free-ranging conversation about Stan Van Gundy's future in Detroit, uh, what James's rookie year was like on the Pistons beat, uh, what the Pistons are going to do this offseason, and uh, we also talked about our NBA awards ballots. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, like, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what the fans want. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I am pleased uh, today to be joined by The Athletics' James Edwards III. James, how are you? I'm doing well, Laz. I appreciate you having me on, man. You, I think this is, well, we've met in person, but you, your voice sounds so much more soothing through through my MacBook. I have my like NPR voice on when I do the podcast. Super NPR. Yeah, for sure. I respect it. Otherwise, I feel like uh, it doesn't you don't quite get like that drive time feel like that's what I'm yeah. going for. And so you get, you got to put on like the affect, you know, <laughs> I respect it. No, I hate my voice. I wish, I wish we could trade. So uh, no, but I appreciate you having me on, man. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on James. Um, this is something that I've been looking forward to, but you know, timing and everything with the, with the season going on and you traveling and everything. I don't know, like when an appropriate time, like hit you up was, and so, like, I'm fine. I'm glad we were finally able to, like, connect and get this done. No, no, and I appreciate that. And just to let you know, I mean, for future years, like I was telling you off the pot, I, I really just respect what you do and kind of the commentary you bring on Twitter um, from a fan perspective. And any time during the year, man, I can make 30 minutes. I, I can find 30 minutes. So don't don't hesitate. If you ever want me on, just let me know and we'll, we'll figure it out. All right, I'm definitely going to take you up on that. Thanks, James. Well, I hope you do. Thank you. So, uh, Pistons season is over. They finished the year 39 and 43. They're out of the playoffs, yep. as uh, evidenced by the fact that they're not playing uh, today or yesterday. And yeah. the biggest question is uh, the future of Stan Van Gundy. Uh, you wrote up Gore's press conference during uh, his, his comments during the final home game of the season. Um, the indication that you and a lot of other people took away, especially he had a quote about a change and a change organizationally was definitely coming. It was just a matter of like how much change we were in for. So I want to ask you in your, uh, in your expert opinion, how much change are the Pistons uh, in for this offseason? Man, this is just a question that's just kind of eluded everybody. And it's, it, it's interesting because there's a lot of change that can be done like this. Obviously when you, I made the playoffs once in the the four years that Stan's been there, and obviously once, then that one time was the one time in like since oh eight oh nine nine eight years, whatever it is. There's always questions, and I, to to preface it, I lean toward him coming back because um, I just think with one year left and just the partnership that Gores keeps talking about, and the fact that he's not really they haven't really rushed to meet all these other teams are firing coaches. 
They still haven't even met yet and sat down and talked. I'm just not sure that he's going to lose both titles. However, I do think there's going to need to be some compromise. And, and one thing I kind of point to, and, and I don't, I haven't really been able to get a, a source on this or get this confirmed, but one thing that, that comes to mind is when Mark Jackson left the Warriors, and one thing that came out was um, he was kind of stubborn in hiring the best assistants possible. Um, and, and I wonder, and I, I'm not saying I, pers- I, I personally think that the, the Pistons assistants are doing anything wrong. I'm not in the know. And obviously, we don't get to see practice and stuff like that. Um, but I wonder if that's maybe something, maybe to bring in somebody more um, accomplished alongside Van Gundy on the sideline, um, whether that's or maybe it's moving on and bringing in a different GM from Jeff Bauer. There's just different things that could happen and just so uncertain because there's so many holes that you can kind of point to and see where fix can be done. That was a very long-winded way of answering that, so I apologize. But, um, yeah, it's just a weird situation. No, that's a that's a possibility I hadn't really considered, right? Like you follow or you fire the offensive coordinator to, like, keep your head coaching job type deal. Right. And it's and I think that's something that, that, that could be interesting because, like I said, Mark Jackson, that was the big thing. Like aside from there was the rumors that nobody really liked him in the front office in Golden State or they didn't see eye to eye. He got guys – I think I read a story the other day that – of his like of his assistants only one or two are still in the NBA like they were throwing money at him to go get the best assistance possible and he wasn't and I'm not sure if Stan has guys that are quote unquote yes men I don't get that sense but I also like I said I don't know for sure so that's just a possibility that nobody's really talked about in change um, but obviously the change is the big change everybody's talking about is him release, relinquishing his front office duties and just coaching um, which I don't really see as a something that will follow through. I don't see Stan just wanting to coach and having somebody else come in kind of telling him what to do, but that's just my hunch. That's a good hunch. I like, I like that hunch. I feel like uh, with the lack of playoff success or the lack of like just making the playoffs in general, um, people's mm-hmm. first instinct is always to just like call for somebody's head. And like, there are right. smaller adjustments that can be made. And I, I think it's fair to say this team is like on a, a path. I think it's I think it's the correct path. A lot of people I think would disagree with that, but uh, yeah, minor changes, tweaks I think are are definitely uh, something that you know could get them to be more accomplished as the as the years kind of go on. Yeah, for sure, I agree. I think it's going to be a conversation, and they're going to talk about all that. I'm sure they'll lay everything out, and I just people are expecting this huge change. And I'm just not so sure it's good. It, it necessarily has to be drastic, right? Like you said, firing the offensive coordinator. That was a great analogy. That was a great analogy. Right. You, they did exit interviews, right? Yeah, they did exit interviews. Um, I want to say Thursday because I know some players already. I, I think Andre left for wherever he was going on Thursday. Um, it was weird because we, me, Rod, and Vince flew back from Chicago um, on Thursday morning, and apparently they had like media availability while we were in the air, um, which we didn't know about. So, like, Keith and the rest of the Pistons people were able to get there. But nothing um, too extravagant was said. We just – it was probably the last time we got to talk to Stan until we probably see him around, uh, I don't know, uh, summer league time. So, I think they did the exit interviews then. Well, we weren't able to confirm that, but I believe okay. so. I would assume so. Everybody's going out to their tropical – destinations now <laughs> yeah i know uh, i saw reggie's instagram and he's he's like gone it's like okay okay 
Yeah, and I think I thought I heard two. I don't remember if I got told this or I just heard it in the locker room. I think him and Blake are going to do some working out in, in California this year, and I'm sure Andre will probably join them too. But it sounded like they were pretty excited to get the band together um, once they all kind of separate themselves from basketball for a little bit. That's good. I know the I know Stanley did the P3 out in Santa Barbara last year, and I know Andre yeah. did some P3 stuff last summer, and you know obviously that worked out pretty well for him. So that's encouraging. Right. No, I th- and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about Andre, but yeah, his people still give him a little slack, but I think he, yeah, I think he had a great year this year. Um, yeah. and, I, and I think you get the sense too, that he did just from the stuff I've seen from you. Yeah. So actually I want to rewind a little bit before the exit interviews, they did play one last game in Chicago. They won that game. And yeah. uh, so during the season, like when they were winning, it was obviously like a very like jubilant, like thing, like, when Blake comes first comes in, they're like dousing each other with water and everything. And when they lose, it's kind of the complete opposite. I think uh, Toller even like said something about like how this team like took losses harder than like any team he's ever been on. So like when you go in on Wednesday and it's a win, but it's the final game of the year, obviously they're disappointed they didn't make the playoffs. What, what's the mood like in the locker room for those guys? No, it was actually a very, a very, um, interesting mood so outside i don't know if people know this but this is kind of how the order is operation goes after the game we go and we wait outside if we're on the road we wait outside the visiting locker room to talk to stan first um and obviously with him with questions about his future on the line um he was a little i mean even though they won he wasn't as exuberant as he is in in most cases he never really gets too high or too low anyway but he was just kind of talking about how it was disappointing of a season, how they had hopes of making the playoffs and blah, blah, blah. Um, then we go in the locker room and it's like guys are smiling, guys are giggling. Like, you know, Eric Moreland had a career game. And for people that don't know, his nickname is Big Drip, uh, which is – and I think Reggie Bullock's Little Drip, which is like a swag clothing reference. Um, and everybody was sitting there just like he was, he was the guy that everybody went to first, all the media, just because it was the last game. We all kind of got the – we're all basically just getting interviews and stuff for us to get through the first couple weeks of summer. But we all go to Eric Moreland, and everybody's sitting there. Dre's putting him on Instagram. Anthony Tolliver comes out of the locker room or out of the shower with his towel on, yelling out big drip, and they're smiling. And everybody's watching. The um, Minnesota-Denver game is on the TV, so we're all huddled around the TV watching. Like, there were smiles. There was jokes. Like, this team, people don't know this, and I don't know if – how the perception is from TV or from watching from TV or in the stands, this team all year long, even after the trade is really, really close. Like these guys all really like each other. Like one thing that can be said about Stan and his tenure is that he really, and and from stories I heard in the past from Vince and just different stuff uh, from guys that have been around longer, he's really changed the culture inside the locker room. Like these guys are one through 15, they get along like you see Blake and Henry Ellenson joking around together. You see Dwight Bikes and Andre Drummond like they really like each other. And, and I think they were just more disappointed that they weren't able to kind of give it a run and give it a go at full strength this year. Um, but they were able to put everything in perspective and just kind of realize I think they think they really have a good team. And, and you can see that throughout most of the year, even when things are bad and things are good. They, they really do think that this team can be something. 
Huh. Okay. That's pretty interesting. I mean, I would expect it kind of to have like a last day of school type of feel. So like the smiles and stuff like doesn't surprise me. But the closeness. That's what it was. The the closeness. Yeah. Fun. The closeness. That's pretty surprising because I know there are some teams where like, like, okay, like Oklahoma City, for instance, like you can't just like Russ isn't close with everybody. And like, that's just mm-hmm. the way it is. Like, that's like, that's fine because like he's Russ. But like you don't you don't have that level of of uh, of uh, familiarity up and down the roster, you know. Yeah. No, and I think that was the biggest surprise for me when I got it when I got on the beat. Um, like you'd always heard things like you wondered if Tobias and Reggie were cool, um, just because they were the two main offensive weapons for the past two years. Those guys were cool, um, and I don't know if that's something that they worked on over the years or whatever. Um, but they seemed to be cool when you saw them. They would joke on each other. That's a big thing in the locker room is guys make fun of other guys' clothes. Like Eric Moreland wears really tight skinny jeans, and Andre Drummond despises anybody that wears skinny jeans. And he just absolutely just dogs him at any chance he gets. But that's kind of their humor. But, yeah, no, it's a really close team. People, don't, I, don't, I didn't know if people knew that, but I wanted to get it out there. That they really do like each other 1 through 15. No, yeah, that is good to, good to know. And like you said, like that hasn't always been the case. Like there was the infamous like locker room insurrection, which I'm exactly. sure like Vince has like just told you about a million times. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The the insider one day, Laz, next time you're in Detroit, we'll all grab a beer and I'll, and I, I can't say it on here, but there's some good stories we, we can I'll share with all you. All right, we'll have to do that. We'll have to do that. Yeah. All right, so I guess my, my my the big next thing is that uh, your piece about like what the Pistons were missing when Reggie went down, where you kind of wrote around it, where you talked to a bunch of other head coaches, you talked to some other like former or not former, but like other players about like what a team is missing when like they're missing their point guard. Like I think that was my favorite piece like of the year. Like that was a really good piece. So appreciate that, man. Thank you. No, no problem. It was really good. Um, so like, what do you say to people who like? boil down the fact that the Pistons weren't successful, like just to the fact that the Pistons went 12 and 25 without Reggie Jackson. Like, is that fair? Is that unfair? Like, is it fair to, I'm sorry, are you asking like, is it fair to attribute the losing to Reggie going down? Yeah. Is it, is it fair to like hold, is it fair to say like if Reggie had played 70 games instead of like 40, that they would have been a playoff team? I think it is fair to say. I mean, you obviously don't know because with Reggie healthy, they did go on a seven-game losing streak. So it's not who's to say that that was maybe not telling of what was to come because they did have another seven-game losing streak and I think a, an eight-game losing streak. Um, so it was there. But I think what people fail to realize because everybody gets enamored with – they get a, my issue with sports fans and basketball fans in general is they kind of – they see one thing and then they kind of just stick with it. Like they don't, there's no changing their mind. So what's the thing around Reggie Jackson? He pounds the air out of the ball. He's a ball hog, X, Y, and Z. And you hear it in the arena too. Like Reggie will be dribbling for maybe six seconds and the shot clock will be going down. And they're like, Reggie, pass the ball. And you're just like, who out there on that floor can go and get a basket? And this is before Blake. Who can go get a basket with seven seconds left besides Reggie? Like, as much as people like Tobias Harris, Tobias Harris is not putting the ball on the floor and going to get you a basket. He's just not. And I think you saw, and I'd have to go back and look at the numbers, and I think I might have wrote it in the story, Tobias Harris's numbers dipped when it, Reggie Jackson went down. Like, Tobias Harris is a good player, and he's come along, and he was a, a joy to cover. Um, 
But he's not a guy that's going to create his own shots. And that's the one thing with Reggie Jackson is say what you want about him, but he's a guy that can get to the basket. And because of that, he can open up space for other players. He can shoot the three ball, which until late in the year was an, a huge Achilles heel of Ish Smith's. Like, not only was he not making them, he wasn't even shooting them. So you're out there playing four on five almost offensively, um, aside from when Ish gets in transition. And I think that's just the biggest thing, and it's so subtle, is just having another threat out there that can space the floor, that can create for others and make plays. And then defensively, say Reggie's not a great on-ball defender, but he's good in the post. He's good at picking up your man and picking up his man in transition. And those are two things that Ish struggles with. Ish gets lost a lot um, in, in transition, and he gets lost sometimes coming off screens. And Reggie's what? He's six four with like a seven foot wingspan. Like that just changes things. You can switch on defense. You can you can disrupt passing lanes. It's it's the little subtle things, and that's why I was saying I appreciate. Your what you say and just kind of following you because you understand the subtle things and that's just some things basic fans not basic fans but guys who or people who kind of just watch the game as it is and don't really see that stuff and just call Reggie a bog because they see he's shooting and holding the ball forever but there's there's different ways in which he impacts the game yeah primary shot creation like has been a weakness of the Pistons like for almost as long as I've been a fan like the the last guy who could like really get a shot was like Grant Hill, right? Like even right. Like needed some setup and like you had to run rip through the uh the maze to get him open shots and yeah. stuff. Like Yeah. So I think Pistons fans like aren't really like used to placing a value on that and so like they don't really like notice its absence. I agree 100% yeah. and it's and it and, the, and it was so funny how these past couple of years, everybody was like, start Ish Smith, start Ish Smith. And I think Ish Smith is a good backup, uh, even better person. But he, it, it, it just, I mean, you can look at the record when he's a starter. It, it doesn't work. And why is that? Because of the different dynamics that he doesn't bring, that Reggie does bring. Um, and until you see those two playing um, extensive minutes and games like you have now after this year, you really probably, I think that, that kind of silenced um, as the Pistons plummeted this year and people kind of understand, okay, I think we're starting to see why Reggie has, has his value. And Ish, Ish even looked like uncomfortable starting when Reggie came back. It was, you, you finally like saw Ish like getting out in transition and you're like, I, like his, his whole mentality and like style of play like changed overnight. Right. And so it's like, well, what is, what is Ish doing differently when you know when he feels like he has to hold something in reserve because he has to play thirty minutes a night, I, I likened it to like um, a, a guy that's who's used to throwing out of the bullpen, like being forced to start, like spot start. Yeah. He's like, okay, he's not going to have as much exactly. on his fastball or whatever, but like, and he's not going to be as effective. And that doesn't mean like he's not a good pitcher. It just means like that's not his role. Exactly. And I actually, so when I was doing that three point piece on Ish, I actually asked Stan, I was like. When he was in Philly and he was starting, he had the best three-point year of his career, um, and it was because he told Ish told me it's because of the freedom Brown played with. He's like he didn't care about offense. He said just go play on offense, but do this on defense. Um, and then I asked, I asked Dan, I was like, well, why is there such a subtle difference in how he's guarded, um, or not subtle? Why is the, what's the difference between him being guarded when he comes off the bench and when he's a starter? And he said, well, when he's a starter. People obviously drop on the picks. 
because they're not fearful of him. And when when you're off the bench, you're not really part of the game plan like that. You're playing against people more, um, I guess, parallel to your abilities, I guess, and this would be a good way to say it. Um, and, and it's just a different approach teams have when you're coming off the bench compared to starting. And I, and I remember, too, when Ish started, he was a little passive. He wasn't really trying to create his own shot. I think he was trying to fit in and it took him a while to get going there, and I just think he's just better suited coming off the bench, and I think he's he's fine with that. He knows what he is. He's just happy to be playing basketball, um, and it's just it's there's so many subtle things that you have to really pay attention to to see the difference between the two, but I think a lot of people kind of got it um, a, a, after this year. Yeah, I think so. I think we we definitely like won't see calls to start Ishmith anymore. I'll say that much. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So your other the other. Uh, piece you like really did this year that impressed me was uh, the piece about Andre Drummond and like the work he's put in not only like this past off season, but like leading up to this season uh, to become a more effective player. And I, I think my uh, Pistons fans, myself included, don't often credit Andre enough because he's yeah. so dominant in, um, in rebounding, which I think is a statistic that people don't put a lot of uh, emphasis on. And uh, his limitations uh, offensively are really visible. Um, he needs to be set up. He can't set other guys. Well, he did a better job of being kind of the hub of the offense and setting guys up, but he can't like create a yeah. shot for himself, for example. And he doesn't have like three point range. So he's, right. he's a limited player, but he's an extremely effective player, like in his areas. Um, he's still 24. He'll turn 25, I think, before the next season starts. Um, with the way he's training and with with the way that uh, you saw him kind of comport himself throughout the entire year. Do you think he has like another like mini jump uh, in him next season? Oh, for sure. And I think the thing for him to do and Stan has talked about it publicly and Andre backed what Stan said, it's as hard. It's going to be hard for him to do. I think very, I think Stan said Dwight did it. And then uh, I can't remember who else did it, but to lead the league in rebounds and blocks like that should be, one, that's where Dre should make his bread and butter because he's one of the most athletic, true big men that there are out there. Like, the way he moves, he's quick on his feet, he's springy. Um, his double jump is, is is ridiculous, and he has long arms, and there's no reason he should he should be averaging two blocks a game a year, um, if not really close to it. And this year he got to, I think it was 1.6, which is like tied as maybe, I think he might have had 1.9 before, but it – it's somewhere around there, but I think that's the next thing for him is to have that that focus night to night on defense. And I think you saw it at the end of the year. I can't look at look up numbers right now, but I think the last maybe two months he might have averaged two blocks a game. It might have been really close. Um, and he when we presented what Stan said to him, he's like he definitely thinks that's something he can do next year. Um, and I think those are the two most important things for him because on offense now with Blake here, while he was the center point before. Um, and kind of the, the like you said, the hub of the offense that's going to change with Blake here. And then if they if Stan comes back to have another summer to kind of figure out what actions and which sets work best for those two, he's just not going to have the ball as much. So when he does, though, he needs to be more effective on his turn up, his turnarounds. He needs to get deeper into the paint when he either catches it or before he puts the shot up because he still he still kind of settles um, for the, the distant turnaround. Um, it's it's not as bad as it used to be, but he's, he's still, he could improve in that. But I think the biggest thing he needs to do is improve himself as a shot blocker because that's where he, he can become a totally, totally different player 
um, and his value can just only shoot up. Yeah, that that was when Stan, when you reported that Stan said that, I think that's the way I should phrase that. When you reported that Stan said that, that was really interesting to me because the thing that changed this year, I think defensively for Andre was uh, was him embracing the um, hard hedging, like on pick and rolls, like being more yeah. active in passing lanes, like uh, not necessarily like trapping guys, but playing up on point guards and like getting steals that way and, and having point. that and having that like be a key part of the defense. And like, you can't, it's hard to do that. Like, and be a rim protector, you know, yes. it's hard to play uh 25 feet out and like block shots. So, but on the other hand, the year last year, or I guess two years ago, um, we saw the, the, the negatives of just like playing Andre and drop coverage. Uh, there was like mm-hmm. one game against the Wizards where I felt like a John Wall hit like 11 straight, like 18 footers just because Andre was playing like three feet off of him with his, with his arms out. And is that the game you lost by like 40? Yes. It was. That's the game. I think Rod always tells me the infamous game where he did start writing like 40 seconds into the game. Like it was like six to nothing. And he just said he did start writing. Like he just knew it was over. Yeah. And having Andre like drop, you could see like at times, like if, if guys started like making shots, he would just like check out mentally. And yes. so like, you know, you play him up to get him involved in the defense. And so I, I wonder how, uh, how they kind of resolve that, that, that dichotomy. Like how do you get him to drop, but like also like continue to stay engaged possession by possession. Uh, that's going to be the challenge. And like you said, it's going to be tough one to get blocks when you're playing that far out on the pick and roll too. But I think, he still gets opportunities throughout the game when guys are driving. And he, he could, I think he can still be a better weak side defender. Um, and, and, or I'm sorry, a better off ball defender, help side defender and, and, and come over and disrupt more shots than he does. I think he took a step in the right direction this year, but I still think there's another, another step he can go. Um, and to go back to your point about the, the hub, and this was kind of one thing as much as, as much credit as Dre should get, for accepting that role and kind of taking pride in it because it, it developed into Santa Dre where he's throwing passes and he's doing little things where he's throwing out gifts. So you could tell he enjoys it. But Stan, that's one thing people don't really give. I give more credit to Stan for Andre's assist being up than Dre. I think, and, and I don't know if I talked about it in too deep a detail before, um, but aside from it being a way to keep Andre engaged on offense. It was also a way to kind of refrain from him shooting those long turnaround hook shots. Um, and it was a way to refrain from him maybe picking up fouls by just trying to drive and do just the kind of acrobatic things he tries to do. And, and it worked out well because, one, the offense was moving. It wasn't really pick and roll base anymore. It was more motion and guys were getting open jump shots and they were one of the best three-point teams in the league to start the year. And again, Dre was engaged at all times, and he took it. He took that position with pride, and I think that was just kind of a, a small move by Stan that he doesn't really get credit for. But I credit that leap in Dre's game to him because of the way he used him um, and how it benefited the rest of the team. Yeah, and it's not like Dre was out there throwing like Jason Kidd, Jason White, Chocolate Williams type passes. There were some of those, but they were more just like dribble handoffs. Uh, just subtle swing it around the perimeters. Like it was nothing too like crazy. It was just very smart basketball plays. And he understood that Andre has that kind of knack to 
to pass the ball and make the smart plays. And it, it was just a good move on Stan's part, I think. I think they need to work that a little bit more in next year, whether that's leaving Dre out there with the second unit and that's the offense you get back to once Blake's on the bench. But I think they need to continue to work that into the, their scheme somehow. I agree. That was that was like a really good changeup to keep using yeah. baseball metaphors. And the pick and roll is like still their fastball. Um, when exactly. Reggie went down, like their, the fastball wasn't as effective. And so like your off-speed stuff is going to be worse accordingly. And so... Um, I think I think that was part of the reason why the offense kind of fell apart. Um, another part of it was, uh, I think, Avery Bradley shouldering uh, an excessive load on offense. I don't think he was I don't think he's that type of player. And I think he was asked to do a little bit too much in, in the wake of Reggie's injury. Um, but I'm curious to see, like you said, how that how that interacts with Blake. And when you watch like the Sixers and you watch like a Simmons and B pick and roll, like neither of those guys can shoot as well as Blake can, but they're running yeah. the pick and roll like at the, at like the wing at like the 15 foot mark. And so it's like, okay, well, like, how many, how many options are like, how compressed does the defense have to be to stop that? And Blake's a good enough passer to, to kind of make the rest, to make those reads and have those guys on the perimeter uh, ready to shoot. And like, I think that's something that can be effective. And that's something I would like to see them uh, develop a little bit more chemistry with uh, next season. I agree. I think that that's a great comparison because, like you said, in Philly they're not really shooting jump shots like that. Those two over there at a, at a high rate, and it's kind of more just their knack to get to the basket and their and their knack to make the right play. And I think Blake and Andre are smart enough players to do that. Um, and then you surround them with Reggie Bullock, Luke Kennard. Um, I mean, we'll see what happens with Anthony Tolliver, but there's there's guys out there that can make that effective. I think that's a great point. So you're a beat guy, but your your job is a little bit different than the newspaper guys, right? Like you don't have like nightly deadlines. You have the, the right. freedom or desire to do things like host a podcast. Um, but but yeah. you came from like a newspaper background, right? Like you were doing high school football before you got the call from the athletic. Yeah, I was doing um, high school football or high school sports in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was helping with like uh, Michigan State basketball. I was doing the uh, – like the summer league, the money ball pro-am, if you're a state and if you're from Michigan, you probably know in Lansing, they do that every year where the Michigan state guys play. Um, and I would pitch in with a bunch of Michigan state stuff, but I was, yeah, I was primarily high school. Yeah. So this is like your rookie year. What, what was the biggest adjustment that you made, like working for a newspaper, like doing those things versus working for like what I tend to think of as essentially just like a really well-funded sports startup. Yeah. No, that's a that's a great way to put it. It's I mean I, the biggest adjustment for me personally um, was trying to find ways to be creative with the stories I do and different with the stories I do while still trying to um, build relationships. So obviously, if you follow the athletic um, or if you subscribe to the athletic, we don't. We don't do game stuff. Like there might be some instances where I do like something off a game. Like I think the one that comes to mind is uh, when Luke Kennard made his first start, it was in Indy mm-hmm. and he's from like an hour away from Indy. So his family was there and I like sat with his parents while they watched the game and all that stuff. So like certain stuff like that we'll do, but we try to do more like whether it's feature or uh, analysis or in-depth type stuff. I, it's hard to do for me. The challenge was getting to know these guys quick enough and well enough that I could get them to open up to me. And I think 
in terms of the job, that was the biggest surprise to me, how, how quickly I was kind of able to get guys like open up and feel comfortable with me and build relationships. But as, personally, it was hard at first to be creative and different um, and try to do stuff that was different from what Rod, Vince, and Keith were doing because they obviously have to hit the hot topics. They obviously have to hit the big news of the day. Um, so exa- the example of the Reggie Jackson piece you're talking about, we all knew Reggie was coming back. So what I had been doing for the past couple weeks, every time we were in a, um, on the road or we were at home, the visiting coach, if we're at home, the visiting coach talks 15 minutes after Stan. Um, if we're on the road, the visit, the home coach talks first. So I would just go to each I would just collect quotes from different coaches to assemble that piece for them. I mean, the story, they're a newspaper and they're writing for a different fan base. Kind of when I was in the newspaper, the big thing my boss always used to tell me, I'm also a soccer fan aside from NBA fan. So like I used to like, when I would do soccer stuff, I would always throw in like soccer terms. And my boss was like, write for the, because your audience, write as if your audience doesn't know what you're talking about. So it's more, I won't want to say dumbed down, but you're writing for the everyday the everyday person. You're somebody that's picking up their paper, may not be a big basketball fan, but oh, let me see what the Pistons are doing. Let me see what the Red Wings are doing. My readership is primarily people who are deep into basketball. So that's where I try to make my, my bread and butter. I like to write features, so I, I try to do that stuff too and try to get stuff that not necessarily people know about a certain person or a certain thing. But I, I try to cater to writing to the, the the more diehard basketball fan, I guess, and that was that was the adjustment um, that took a little bit for me to get to, but I, I think I got there after after a month or so. Okay, that's cool. No, that's good. That's good to hear. I was curious about that. The other thing I was uh, I was curious to see if you mentioned was uh, I think it was like a mailbag in like February where you uh-huh. you were like uh, like I didn't expect to travel this much. Like the travel was a huge adjustment. And uh, yes. covering one subject and solely one subject for an extended period. You also talked about like how like if uh, you could cover like a different high school or like you could cover MSU or like you could do something like else with your time. Yeah. If, uh, if the season like wasn't interesting, but like with this, yeah, yeah. you're kind of stuck. And this, is, this right. is during like the the three and eleven Januarys part where it's like <laughs> no one wants to cover this team. So like I didn't blame you, but I thought that was I thought that was interesting, like the way you phrased that. I never thought about it. No, like that's, that. no, that's definitely uh, that was an adjustment. So I mean, I knew I would be traveling a lot, but what I I think what I said is I didn't realize how grueling the traveling would be. I don't think I don't know if people know this about how most I don't know if every team does this, but I would assume so. So say we're say there's a two game or a three game trip in five days they play monday night we'll say in memphis um and then they have a game wednesday in i don't know what's close to memphis dallas um what they'll do most times sometimes they stay over in the city um but with the well actually that happened this year because they eliminated more back-to-back so sometimes they would stay the night in the city but in most instances after the game they'll fly to dallas on Monday night after the game. And then they'll have practice in Dallas Tuesday morning. So we can't, we don't have the luxuries of a private jet or a personal plane. So for us to get to practice, we have to catch a 6 a.m. red eye to make it to practice by 1130 in the next city. And so these late nights riding, waking up early to, to catch a flight like that, where wore on me so quick. Like I didn't even, 
understand what was happening to me. Like my body was just like tired at all times. So that was, that was a huge adjustment from the travel. And then, like you said, having to be the NBA is one of the hardest sports to cover because there's 12 people, 12 players primarily, and maybe four of them matter, like in terms of interest. Uh, That's one thing I like about my job is if I can find something interesting, I can do it on a bunch of different people like Rod and Vince. They might not be as inclined to write a story on Dwight bikes because I mean, I think their, their biggest thing is page views and clicks. And that's just kind of where the newspaper is nowadays. Right, like if, you're, if you're writing for the average fan, like the average fan doesn't care about Dwight bikes as much. Exactly. But like, if I can do the thing, like I did, like on his winding trek, like my readership is there for, like I said, probably more of a diehard basketball fan. And they're more interested in that. Um, so you get to do stuff like that, but yeah, being, when a team's losing eight straight and you have to sit there and try to find ways to be creative to write about it, but the same, it's the same reason that they're losing every night. It's really tough. That was a huge, that was, yeah, I forgot about that. That's a huge adjustment. Yeah. So what did, what did you take away from watching like Rod and Vince and Keith and like all those uh, other individuals like work, do, do the work that they had to do for 75 plus games? Like what, what was the lesson like you learned from them? That's a great question. So I, so we're all, I would say we're all really close and I, we've had other, yeah, it, it shows, it shows. Yeah. And I don't know if, I mean, I don't, to kind of preface it, I came in with, I didn't want them to like, think that like, I was like this young guy, like trying to come in here and, oh, I'm the, the athletic pounding my chest. Cause the way like some things were presented, like they could have, they could have taken it the wrong way or not been as welcoming. So I made sure when I got the job, I Call Vince was the one I had the relationship with when initially because it's the Free Press and the Lansing State Journal are both owned by Gannett. So I had known me and Vince had mutual friends. So me and him went to dinner before the season started. I met Rod when we got there, and then Keith obviously when we got there. And um, I think the biggest thing I took from them is well, first I just wanted to cement myself. Like we're all doing different things. I mean, I'm doing more different. Not when I say different, not like better or worse, but like the approach to the job is different for me than it is for Rod and Vince. So we're not necessarily, I'm like, I just want, we're not stepping on each other's toes and we have to, I see them more than I see my mom and dad. Like we might as well <laughs> just be cool. You know what I mean? Like, like that's just how it is. So I just kind of wanted to make sure that I presented myself in a certain way and was able to kind of show them that I respect what they do. And I've been big fans of what they do. And I think they took the liking to that. Um, and just being able to be so close with them and traveling with them and eating dinner with them. I've taken away a couple things, one from each person, um, I think the biggest thing I took away from Vince is just the attention to the way he, he kind of moseys about the franchise. Like he has good relationships in the ownership group. Um, he has good relationships with Stan. Um, he's been around for a while. So obviously he's, I think he's been there 10 years, which is, I mean, Keith, you don't really consider a beat guy because he works for the team. Um, but he's been the longest beat guy there so just kind of watching how just him being seasoned and being a veteran just kind of picking up little things of the people he interacts with and stuff like that rod um was the way his people skills are something that i i I liken myself to like i try to be a just being a human and being able to relate to people and actually like showing that you care about people is a big thing in this job aside from life and i think rod does a good job at that and whether that's just striking up conversations uh, without it being on the record, like just sitting there and talking with the guy and just getting to know him and just shooting. Can I cuss on here? Yeah, go for it. 
like shooting the shit and doing stuff like that with just with the cameras off like that helps build relationships and he was really good at that and that's something i picked up and keith is just keith's a stat maniac like keith comes to practice like five questions ready for stan like you guys were 15th in offensive rating why did this happen da 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 so his preparation and like going into interviews or going into a story idea with already having a knowledge of how you want to frame a question to get the best answer is something I got uh, from him too. So I, I picked up a lot from, from all those guys. So, so what's next for you? Like at the athletic and the Pistons are off or whatever. I assume we'll see like some free agency stuff, some draft stuff, some summer league stuff. Um, but like, you know, are you going to go to the lottery? Like you convinced the athletic to, to send you to, uh, to New York or whatever. Um, that's a good question. I haven't thought about that because the odds of them getting that pick would be nuts. But I mean, to have somebody there and they get it, that could be big. I'll have to It'd run that. Good story, though. They got it exactly, and I'll take a trip to New York any day of the week. Um, for me, it's right now. I'm. I mean, I just finished up some stuff today. That uh, one will be out tomorrow. Um, and I guess is this podcast going to be out today? This podcast will come out like really early tomorrow. Okay, so I can say it on here. Like I'm, I do. I just finished a story that'll be out tomorrow on like how Blake Griffin's transformation has retained the eye of USA basketball. Um, so I had a when they announced the 35 man roster, they did a conference call with Pop and Colangelo, and I I talked to them about why bring Blake Griffin back. What about his game? Um, kind of wanted you wanted you guys to take another look at him, and they just talked about his evolution as a player, and I had. had five minutes with Blake in Chicago to talk about that. So that's a story that'll be rolling out um, tomorrow. Uh, also hints on like his first healthy he- off season since like 2015, which is something he's really looking forward to. Uh, so you can check that out tomorrow on the athletic. And then obviously this week is going to be um, all, all hands on deck, all eyes on Wojnarowski tweets and Mark Stein tweets, trying to figure out what's going on with Stan um, so there'll be stuff based on what's going on with that. Um, then after that, I'm going to try to take some vacation time for a couple weeks, kind of reset and, and regroup. By the time that's done, I think the, the draft combine will be up. So I'll go out there to shake some hands and kiss some babies and, and meet some people. And then after that, there's the, there's the draft in June, um, summer league in July, free agency in July, maybe take a little bit more time off before training camp. Um, so it's, you kind of save up all your vacation time for this part of the year. No, yeah, definitely understandable. I know, um, with, with the draft and like with free agency and everything, like we behind the scenes are like looking at like, what are we going to do like this off season in while we're waiting for like Stan's situation to be resolved. And so like, we've got some, we've got some like cap analysis stuff, We've got some like minor free agency things we're thinking about, but we're like looking out there and we're like, man, it's going to be a, it's going to be a quiet summer. It's like, I don't know how good that it is, is. but I'm still just not sure that they make a trade. I'm still not sure that they don't make a trade. Um, I don't have very much insider info on that, but I, they sound like a team that's not necessarily 100% content with what they have, and they're a team that's always shown that if there's an opportunity to get better, they will. Um, I will just say that I wouldn't be surprised if a move is done um, in between June and uh, July. But I don't know who that would be. I mean, I have some ideas that 
maybe they maybe they see where the value is for Stanley. Um, Dre's coming off an all-star year. Maybe they test the waters again on him and see what they can get. Um, I think people talk about that they put themselves in a a financial hold, which they did in, in some sense, but they still have a $7 million trade exception from the Blake Griffin trade. Um, and, I, and I still think that from a couple of scouts that I've talked to, Stanley has some value around the league. So, I mean, at some point you're going to have to decide if you want to pay him. I think he becomes a restricted free agent after next year. Um, so you have to figure out what his value is, one, and two, are you willing to just let him walk if another team matches it? Um, so th- there's still some decisions to make, maybe some some things they can get creative with if they if they do want to enhance the team. Yeah, I, I asked on Twitter if, if uh, fans would be comfortable trading Stanley for uh, a late first. And to my surprise, most people said no. Um, I've, that I've, I'm not really a huge fan of this draft, but, uh, some people are very, very frustrated about the lack of a draft pick, um, and, uh, and the young talent that, that would, you know, bring. And so I thought that was like a good value for Stanley and like a late first round pick. Um, but, uh, I got a collection of reasons like why that wouldn't be a good idea. Some people want to hold on to him because I think, um, you know, obviously the potential for him to be a, a two way player is still there. Um, some people want to hold on to him because it'd just be uh, another example of uh, if he blossomed elsewhere, it'd be another example of Stan kind of missing on uh, on developing a guy and they don't want to go through that again. Um, some people right. want to trade him, but not for necessarily for a pick. They want to trade him or like package him with a, with a guy like John Lure or something to, to clear some salary space. Um, but some people like just more people than I thought, like just wanted to keep him just to see what he had, which was really interesting to me. I think that's the point you made is that like people are fearful of what he might become. And that's why I I was, me and Rod were talking about this might've been today or the other day. Um, It's, I don't think I would trade him for a late first round pick. I think I would rather roll the dice and see if maybe he turns the corner this year. Um, But I mean, if you're able to package him and get something that you like, or maybe close to a top 10 pick or a lottery pick, then I would probably do it. I don't know if I would do it for like, whatever the Spurs pick, end up, picks and pick ends up being. Um, you just don't know, and I'd rather roll the dice with Stanley. But he's a guy – I'm I'm torn on him because, like you said, point to the Cleveland game right after the Blake trade, and he scores 26 and has eight rebounds, and he's like, man, this kid can be really good. And then you two nights in a row, he'll shoot three of 11. The three-point shot has, has regressed since his rookie year. I think his rookie year is – 30 percent he hasn't he's been 28 the past two years and it's like yeah you say co- shooting's easy to coach maybe that's something that they try to address and bring in a, a different shooting coach or or maybe some guys just don't have it. And you just don't you just don't know what he is and then I've heard things from people that they think Stan is is holding him back and in, in the sense that he he can probably give a little bit more but Stan's really not giving him the leeway to do so I'm I'm not so sure on that because I don't in the half court, to me, Stanley's not really a guy that I I, I want to. How do I say this? He has he has really good vision, but like he always he doesn't always have like the yeah. handle to get to his spots to make the pass that he can see. So like, exactly. yeah, so he'll end up like turning the ball over, but like you can you can kind of see like where his head was at, but like he also like should know that he can't quite do that. So it's like it's weird to kind of that, and that, yeah, and that's where I was gonna say is and there's even some shot selection in the half court. I'm like. 
I understand that you're trying to get yourself to this point in your game, but you're not a turnaround jump shooter. Um, and he does that a lot. Like he shoots shots that aren't within his means necessarily yet. And it, it's, I, I could see it being frustrating to the fan base because there's times where he shoots the shots that he's supposed to shoot and, it, and he has great games. I just think too often than not, he's trying to show that he's expanded his game and it comes at the expense sometimes of in-game play. Um, and, and, and I can see where it's frustrating. That's why I'm kind of like torn towards it. I should probably hang on to him to see what he is. But I would go maybe halfway through the year. Um, I wouldn't wait too long because, like I said, a restricted free agent. If you don't think you can bring him back or you don't have interest in bringing him back, see what you can get for him, I guess. I mean, that is true, though. I think a lot of people are very fearful. Like if you traded him to San Antonio and, like, he just turns into Jonathan Simmons, like, 2.5, and you're just like, oh, okay. Right. Or uh, a lot of people, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, no one complained that that Spencer Dinwiddie was gone when he left, but, like, now that he uh, is in, like, the most improved player conversation, people are mad about that. Um, you know, it, they chalk it up to kind of, uh, I think, a misevaluation of young talent uh, that uh, you can fairly lay at the feet of Stan. But, like, some of those guys, like, you just – you were going to miss. Like, it's okay. It happens. Guys get better. Guys get worse. Yeah. And, like, I have no issue with them trading Spencer because I, I think Stan even told us Stan – or Spencer asked for a trade. Like, he wasn't playing – like, he was, Steve Blake was playing over him. Like, and, I and, like, deservedly, Steve Blake was playing over him, which is – Exactly. And my issue was – I mean, he's a young guy, so you either – Tell him no, and we're just gonna you're gonna develop here, and we're gonna see. And I know they had, they would have had to pay him eventually. I don't think it would have been too much, but they would have had to pay him. Um, just see what he is, and roll the dice, and just see what happens, or at least get something in return. Like Cameron Barristow didn't even I don't even know if he showed up in Detroit. Like you know what I mean? Like they got absolutely nothing for him. Yeah, <laughs> Cameron Barristow. <laughs> like nothing at all. Yeah. So yeah, okay, I I can kind of see that. This is this took longer than I thought. You got you got some more time to talk about NBA awards. Yes, let's do it. Sorry, I'm long winded, so I apologize. No, no, that's cool. This is good. This is quality content. Hashtag content. <laughs> let's do it. Let's talk some awards. All right. So, uh, who's your MVP? Uh, all right. I'm glad we started with this. Yeah, you have you kind of have to, right? Yeah. So, at the essence of the award which it seems to just be going to the player that has the best season. Um, that's not the essence of the award, but the award seems to be going to the player that's having the best season. So and I think we would all agree James Harden. But, man, does Anthony Davis not deserve it? Like, you take Anthony Davis away from that team. I think if if you flip what happened to DeMarcus and, what ha- and ha- Anthony's out for the year, this team doesn't make the playoffs to me. Like, Anthony Davis has – credit Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday has really kind of resurrected himself this year. I think he's, what, averaging 19 points. And his, I mean, you saw the other night what his defense is like. like. Defend, crazy defensively down the stretch in game one. Yeah. Amazing. But Anthony, man, like, that dude to me – like, I asked this on Twitter yesterday. Like, who definitively would you take over – Anthony Davis and the the answer I agreed with the most and I'm the biggest Steph fan there is like I enjoy watching that dude and and I have been for years all the way back to Davidson as most people have but Katie and LeBron right now and I might even I mean LeBron's having his best year so I can't say that but those are probably the only two I would take over AD and I just sometimes you just want to reward the guy that that did what his team wasn't supposed to do um and whether that's 
people think he should have made they should have made the playoffs or not. I just think it was too up, up in the air. And he I don't know. I just I think that dude just had a tremendous season and he should be rewarded for it. I think he's at least number two. Um what about you though? You got Harden? So I have Harden. Um Harden had what thirty five and eight. Um his team his number one team in the in both conferences won sixty five games. Uh he has right. I think like a signature moment which is, which is an important uh like non statistical thing like he he crossed West Johnson so bad that like West Johnson's like still lying there on the ground and like <laughs> that's like that matters to some people like when you're talking about MVP voting he scored 60 uh against Orlando and like he did it in such a way that it made me think like he made scoring 60 look too easy it like looked like yeah. someone had like turned down the difficulty on 2K which is like <laughs> which is ridiculous and yeah. so no I, I agree no and like that's and like that's kind of been it's it's felt a lot like this is the year like James Harden like fully arrived and so I was like yeah okay we can give him the MVP for that uh, I'm all for yeah. it I have a question though and maybe you know the answer because I think I've seen it before Harden missed a decent amount of games this year. like not decent he played he played 72 games okay. so he missed 10 games that's not bad like I think their record like they had a good record without him though. Like I if I recall, like I want to say they were like I mean eight and two is a small sample, so like that wouldn't have lasted. Mm-hmm. So like I I don't know, I'm trying to talk myself into why Anthony Davis should win the MVP. I'll just shut up. Yes, James Harden. No. No, if if you want it's like that's the thing, right? Like the MVP is different things to different people, which is why we can have like the twenty four hour sports cable discussion about like who should be the MVP. Right. This is this is what makes makes good things. Um, Harden, but like I, you have to also you also have to factor like LeBron, even though like he didn't play defense for like the first five eighths of the year. Yeah, he has still had such a ridiculous statistical season, and like very clearly like wanted to win the MVP. And you could tell when he starts talking about it in the media, like that he wants to win the MVP. It's like you have to you have to consider it, right? For sure. But that's there. That's that's the argument I meant to say for AD that I forgot. Like. Not only is he in the discussion for MVP, which usually goes, which is equivalent to Offensive Player of the Year, like people think he should win Defensive Player of the Year. So you make the case that he's had the top three or four offensive season and then top one or two defensive season. Like how that has to account for something, which should be the MVP. But it's there's I understand it's an offensive league. That's what people care about. But, man, that dude just all around – his impact on the game this year was just so fun to like that streak, that run he had, like when he was putting up 45 and 15, like it seemed like every night was just like that dude to me, man is, is, is I'm, I'm happy for him that he, he was able to stay pretty much injury free this year. And we got to see what Anthony Davis is for a significant time of the season. Yeah. So I think like that in some order is like the top three. Like Harden, LeBron, AD, and then like Dame had a really good year. Um, I think like this, like he he also had like a really hot stretch, like kind of later in the year, and that carried him along a little bit. Um, he's definitely like not at the same level as like those three guys, but like he's close, and I think that matters. I agree. Who's your? Then, who's yeah? Who's your? Who would be your other one? So uh, Giannis, Giannis, um, like it's it's hard to remember. But, like, early in the year, Giannis was shooting, like, 80% in the paint yeah. for, like, the first month. And it was, like, 
the guy's just ridiculous. He's also playing it at all defensive level. Um, he is the he's the hub of their entire offense. And as we saw today, um, it looks like he's been uh, limited a little bit by their um, by them not playing him at center because mm-hmm. like it, because I don't know I don't know why they wouldn't do that. But like mm-hmm. now, when they went towards the end of the the game one when they put him at center, like they scored fourteen straight points and like closed that game. They didn't win, but it was a lot closer than it had any right to be. Right. And so I think I think coaching kind of holds Giannis back a little bit, but like it's impressive to have him be held back and still be like a top five MVP candidate. No, I'm Giannis is a I mean, this is corny, but he's a freak, obviously. And the way he does the way he plays and just the way the freeness he plays with and the like he's not afraid, and he just goes. And to do all what he does without a jump shot, I, I commend it. My fourth spot, and I just I feel like I'm just keep rooting for the underdog. But I had I Aladipo was in my ballot in the top five. Um, twenty three points a game, thirty seven from three. Defensively, what two steals led the NBA in steals, right? Yeah, and got a Pacers team that everybody thought was without a doubt destined for the lottery to the fifth seed and handing LeBron his first game one loss in a first round. I think. Yeah. In the first round. Yeah. In the first round. So that's another guy. I mean, there's, this was a great year for the NBA. I mean, we could probably name another five guys that, that have a case. Um, But Oladipo, man, what he did, it it could be the shock factor, but what he did, I think, I mean, he's going to, I think it went most improved. So he'll get his due um, in that. Yeah. That was funny when uh, Spencer tweeted, like, so we already, like, just mailed the award to his house? Like, no one's even considered? He's like, yeah, man. Like, did you watch him this year? <laughs> yeah, like, dude, he's got – he – the way – not only just the what he did for this team, but just the way he transformed his game. And, like, people forget, like, he was a number two pick. Like, it, it's he kind of was stashed away in Orlando where nobody really cared because it's the magic. And then he went to OKC and – played alongside Russ, but Russ was going for triple doubles, so nobody was really paying attention to Victor, and it really didn't let him blossom. And then he just kind of bursts out of nowhere as this, like, reformed guy who was, like, one of the top two-way players in the NBA and playing in this market where everybody thought was, like, destined for for years of sorrow. And they – I mean, look, at this team is going to be good. You would assume maybe not five-seed good every year, but they're going to – they should be in the playoffs every year, you would think. And what's, what's weird about – well, not weird, but – What's uh, intriguing about the Pacers is like they could completely reformat this team if they wanted to. Like all the guys right. they brought in have like team options, and so if the Pacers want to like create like forty million in cap space, like they could do it and yes. bring back like Paul George, which would be hilarious. Um, <laughs> I'd be all for it. So who's uh who's second and third on your most improved ballot then? If Oladipo's number one? Oh man, who did I have? Um, Wait, I meant to ask you. Did you get like an official ballot? I didn't this year. Um, I think I was told that they do like one per beat every year, and I think Rod got it this oh, year. Like rotated, okay. Got it last, so hopefully I get it next year. That's um, intriguing. I didn't know they like did that. I didn't know they rotated. I'm not sure it. if that's the if I was explained if that was explained to me right. I don't think every market that's the case, but I think like Detroit, they don't. I don't think they give away two ballots. I might be wrong though. Okay. Um, I have. I mean, this doesn't sound crazy. I think Reggie Bullock should be in consideration. Um, to I think he's the first guy in NBA history to double his points per game 
in the fifth year of his in the fifth year of the league, five years or later. Um, he's a guy that was riddled with injuries, a guy that was riddled with lack of opportunity. And I mean, uh, when you ask him, this is stuff he knows he knows he's been able to do, but now he just has the opportunity to do it. But I mean, as you watched, like every, did you ever think that when a shot went up, that it wasn't going in with him? Not like after like January. Yeah, like for like four months, you were like count it money. Like that that dude did not miss. And like showed um, off like a little bit of like some off the dribble stuff too towards the end yeah, of the year. He got better at the end of the year with that for sure. And he's a good defender. Um, I just think, and he, I, I think if you add up all his minutes um, in the first four years of his career, they still are less than what he played this year. So for that guy, I, I think he should definitely be in consideration. Will he be in consideration? I don't know. Um, I, I mean, you, Spencer is another one, obviously. That's a, an obvious one. Um, I'm probably missing somebody right now. You have another one in mind? No, those those are my three guys. Um, Spencer, uh, he started the year really hot and kind of cooled, especially like from three. But yeah. uh, he went from like curiosity to like legitimate uh, role player. Like scouting. Yeah. yeah. And Reggie Bullock, I think, did much the same. And like in a year when you don't have like an Oladipo or like a CJ McCollum, like that's what I think this award is like more uh orientated towards yeah like the essence of it exactly right and so i'm I'm happy to give it to have those other two guys like on the ballot definitely yeah those are the ones that come to mind now and i, I but i i mean we can that doesn't even matter like just yeah just, they, they should do it to start game two just run it out to victor and let's just shorten the ridiculous press conference at the end of the year nah, we got the uh, the award show remember yeah the award. kevin hart's gonna host and get get checks be great he's the, kevin hart's the host this year i missed that completely i have no idea if Ke- i assumed oh. kevin hart was the host because that's the type of thing like you would just like outsource to him you know kevin hart does everything kevin hart needs to go away for a little bit like he needs to like make himself he's too seen like he just kind of needs to pump the brakes and make people miss him because i think people are kind of tired of him now i hope drake does it again i thought he did a good job i don't know i've well drake's like really good at like being seen but like he's also like he's he's got a great sense of like what like the next thing is gonna be and so like i'm never like truly mad at like drake being seen yeah no i'm not at all i think he does a good job of of leaving come like he doesn't i don't think he's we don't we're not oversaturated with drake Mm -hmm. um and he's a funny dude and seems like a good dude uh kevin is too much kevin hart can be a little too much for the soul sometimes. Yeah, no, I know. I agree with you. I agree with you. All right. So who do you have for a uh, defensive player of the year? I'm going to go uh, Anthony Davis. Like, I mean, the blocks, what he was asked to do on offense and still brought it on defense. Um, there, I mean, obviously there's other guys that you can, that you can factor in there. Um, Gobert is another guy. How many games did Gobert miss? Did he miss too many games? He didn't miss that many games, did he? Gobert... I had Gobert second. He played less than 60 games, which was the reason I had him second. Yeah, that was going to say, I think that's why I had him second. I, I looked a few days ago. Yeah, I, I thought he played far a few games to be considered um, number one. Who's your number one? Uh, Embiid. Embiid played. That's a good one. He played six more games, which is like not a lot, but I, it was enough. And uh, he was a better rebounder than Gobert. And um, that that Philly defense is like really good. Like he's surrounded by a lot of uh, good defensive talent, 
but when he's in, um, it can feel impossible to to score against that team. And so, you know, to me, he was just the most impactful player on defense uh, this season. And Gobert was like a very, very, very close second. I like the Embiid one. I, I that didn't come to mind immediately. That's a good one, though. No, watching him a couple times this year, that dude is. I mean, isn't he's going to be so good? Um, but his impact defensively, like you said, around the rim, like it's you have to work to get two points against that dude. Yeah, and then uh, I had Giannis third. It's kind of like the best perimeter defender, um, despite the fact that like he's a center. <laughs> no, I'm all I'm all for that. Like. That Milwaukee team, they've underachieved. Like, they are so long. Like, they could be a – with a good coach, I would love to see Milwaukee – this Milwaukee team versus, like, Golden State. Like, I don't think they'd beat Golden State, but they are so long that that would be just – they have to be annoying to play. Like, I would love to see what the starting five looks like when they, like, lock arms or extend arms, touch fingertips, and just see how far across the court they could go. Like, I, I would assume it's, like, further than any team in the league. And it, it, that just you just want to see what that what that can do because that's kind of the essence of what basketballs turn into, the positionless basketball. And the way that they formulated that team is super intriguing. It's just somebody's not there to orchestrate it all right. And, like, the the questions surrounding Jabari with that team because, like, he doesn't really fit that profile – and but he's also like the number two picks. Like, what do you do with that guy? And like coaching wise, if they had a better coach, like I feel like he would be better integrated into that team, and they'd be more successful. And like you'd get more uh, Giannis Defensive Player of the Year MVP talk. You know. Question for you: How would you feel if the Pistons traded for Jabari? Ooh, I as always, I think it depends on what they would give up to do it. Um, say Stanley and Langston. Yeah, I would do that. I would do that. That would yeah. no. That would I think that would that'd be interesting, right? Because that would be a very nice like secondary ball handler to add to what would presumably be the starting lineup. Um, he's a good enough shooter that you can uh, play him like alongside Blake and Dre and like not worry about uh, spacing concerns. Um, he could also, mm-hmm. Ooh, Ooh. So you could also have him like him and Blake, like anchor a bench lineup that could still like be dangerous offensively. Yeah. That would be interesting. Um, I do think. Uh, would the injuries worry you to have him Reggie yeah, and Blake all out there? That would, that would be worrying. Um, the lack of uh I guess the lack of a backup shooting guard would be a worry. Well, I guess I guess you'd play Reggie at backup shooting guard, but um, I think that he's I think he's more comfortable in the wing. Uh, that would be interesting. Um, and and how much money would he want in restricted free agency? I think that would be that would be a huge thing because Langston only Stanley makes like three right now, and Langston makes seven, and so you're pushing up against the luxury tax right now. So if you gave Jabari like, I don't know, like fourteen to seventeen, like you're a luxury team, and it's like, and but they have that trade exception. Oh, that's true. Seven mil. Mm, that's true. So huh. yeah, I don't know. That would no, that'd be that would definitely be interesting. I, I could I could see that working. I could also see that like not working. Yeah, it would be. I mean, it would be a move that I think 
the initially the fan base would be like, oh my gosh, another knee that we have to worry about. So I think that would be the initial reaction. I don't know. I um, think a lot of people have, there's a lot of like hard price memory of Jabari from like when he was a recruit for Michigan State, right? Like people still well, love Jabari from that. People love, like him in Michigan. Yeah. So like, I think he, he'd get some goodwill from like that. And then like the first time he missed like a couple games because his knee was sore, they'd turn. <laughs> no, I agree. It was just, I was sitting down thinking like possible trade targets. And no, that's a good one. Jabari, that's a good one. I like that one. Under the radar. I think he will definitely, somebody will trade for him, I think. Yeah. All right. So who's, uh, who's your rookie of the year? Is, is he playing? Is your rookie of the year playing in the playoff game that's occurring right now? He is. Okay. He is. He is. Um, uh, of course, Abrinus is no. I'm just joking. Wait, is Abrinus? No, no. This is this is second year. Abrinus, this is like his second or third year, I think. Yeah, you're right. Okay, yeah. No, Donovan. Um, Donovan is the rookie of the year. I love the hoodie. He kind of it fully didn't connect because the word play was in there, um, which obviously this is Ben's first year playing. I mean, so I look at it like this: Who is the better player? I think Ben is the better player, but I do put in Ben Simmons is, let me say this. Ben Simmons is going to win it and should win it. He is technically by the NBA rule a rookie. I personally do put stock in the fact that he got to be around the NBA team for a year, learn the ins and outs of the offense, the schematics, learn his teammates, um, have a a bonding experience before just kind of taking over and becoming who he is. Donovan literally became a rookie. They needed him to play. They threw him in the fire, and he became their top dog, and everybody followed suit. Um, It wasn't – they were learning as he was learning. They were learning about him. They were all learning each other as he was learning the NBA game. Um, And I I just think he's – I mean, the rookie. He's a true rookie. Um, everything was new to him this year, and I just I think you I think you should get it. Yeah, for me, it's two things. Um, Simmons, like you said, Simmons is probably a better player, but for me, like when I watch Simmons play basketball, I like I see all the things he cannot do, and uh, and it irks me. Right, like he can't he can't Did shoot. Did you tweet that recently? What? Did you tweet that recently? I did tweet that recently. I saw that. That was good. That was I agree with you. And like Donovan, on the other hand, like you can see you, he was like consistently like learning throughout the entire year. Like the Zach Lowe did like his deep dive on Utah and uh, they had something from the coaches in there. The coaches were like, we told him like he had to start finishing with his left in traffic more. And he was like, okay. And then he did it. And it's just like, <laughs> that doesn't happen. <laughs> Rookies don't no. do that. No, they don't. And like from all accounts I've heard, like the dude is just like an absolutely phenomenal like human being and like the nicest guy you can be around. And you kind of see it in his game. Like he has some kill in him, but like he doesn't walk down the court and do like the Kobe like mean face. Like he just goes about his business, and he's just a likable dude. He's got he's got joy in his game. He's got joy. I like the kid. He's good. I think he uh, I think he deserves it. I think Ben will win it. Um, but man, can we give Jason Tatum some love though? Like, I feel bad for him that these two guys just absolutely went bonkers because Jason Tatum is nice. I wonder what he would look like if um, 
if like Danny Ainge didn't like him as much and like he were in Phoenix right now, right? Like that's that's always like stuck in the back of my mind with Jason Tatum. Like if he if yeah. he wasn't playing for Brad Stevens, like what would he look like? Like would he be this good? Like probably not, but like would he would he be like an inefficient chucker or like would he still be like as creative as he is off the dribble? Would he still be able to like finish in traffic or is like is that something he's picked up from the coaching staff? And so yeah, he's like in a normal year, like he'd be rookie of the year, and he's just third, and like he has to be okay with that. And every, and everybody's okay with that. Like, there's no questioning that Jason Tatum's third. They're like, okay, that's where he should be. But I I think I was surprised, and, and obviously the the doors opened up for him when Gordon went down, and uh, they they needed to use him a little bit more. But I think he's taking advantage. And I know I think I read somewhere that Stevens has like slowly been working stuff in for him, and like kind of pushing more type of actions toward him. And they had him, like, running point guard at the end of the regular season when, like, Rozier was down. Yeah, like, the dude is just smooth, and he just knows how to play. And I just, like, I want to see – I'll say this. I would not be surprised in six or seven years when we look back at this class that he's, at that time, down the road, the best player in the class. I wouldn't be surprised. That That's high praise because this is a really good class. Really this good. Is a really good class. I didn't think it would be this deep. Like you had like Kuzma at like twenty six, and like that guy's that guy's a legitimate NBA player, like a legitimate NBA starter. Like that doesn't happen He's every real. year. No, this this was a really interesting. This might be. I mean, you go obviously the the class people point to is LeBron's class, um, but this is a this class could has the potential to rival it. Like, I mean, the majority of the lottery picks were have been pretty good. Or have had shown the majority have shown some type of promise, and then you have the guys like you said, like Kuzma. Um, what's uh, uh, brain freeze right now? What's the second round guy? Um, Josh Hart. Where is he? Josh Hart. Um, and where's the? Uh, just watched him the other day. Um, not Milwaukee. I'll have to get back to you. Dylan Brooks in Memphis. Dylan Brooks. Okay. Like, like, there's just random guys that have, like, I mean, Dylan Brooks, I mean, he's in Memphis, so you, you say what you want about that. But, he, I mean, he, he's had moments this year. When you watch Memphis, the few times I have outside of having to watch them, like, there's guys that, like, this is a really interesting draft class. And there's even guys like John Collins in Atlanta or, like, Jared Allen. Like, Jared Allen was, like, going to be a lottery pick and then fell and responded by, like, just being a really good role player for an NBA team. Like in his first year, it, I owe him an apology. I, like I, like I just couldn't take him serious when he came in and just looked like the <laughs> the dude on the cover of NBA Street Volume Two with the afro and the headband and the long socks. And it's like this guy is just not going to be in the league that long. And then we watched him the first time. I mean, the, every time I watch him, it's just like man, he just looks like he shouldn't be out there. But as the season went on, like he just he got more comfortable. He finally kind of figured out where he would thrive at. He was very active on the glass. He was active rim running. Like he was, he turned him. I owe him an apology. He's turned into be a pretty good rookie. Yeah. All right. What's, what's next? What's next? Oh, uh, six man. This one's kind of easy. It's Lou. Yeah. And yeah. then Eric Gordon. And then, uh, I actually have, I actually have, I have Montrez Harrell third for six man of the year. Not because like he I was like the that. third best six man, but because like I, I see I see you Montrezl. Like every time he was in the game, good things happened. Like that that matters. A, no, I think Bill Simmons has said this too. Like Houston should have played him more. Oh, absolutely. Um instead of like Nene? Like, like why? Yeah. He is a younger 
more active version of Nene. Similar look. He's not as big. He can't. I don't. I don't think he can shoot like Nene could in his from that elbow, that eighteen footer in his prime. But Montrez was just what the Houston, what Houston needed, and what Houston does. Gosh, Montrez would have been huge for them, like just to clean up any missed shots they have, or just to use in the pick and roll and just have him attack like furiously at the rim. He's just that dude is. You could tell from when he was at Louisville, he was that Louisville team was pretty good, and he was on TV a lot, like. He was one of those guys, like, I don't think he's going to be a high pick, but he's going to make it in the NBA. And, like, you could tell he, you could tell he had what it, what the heart it takes if you're not necessarily the most skilled to play in the NBA. Like, it's it's Draymond Green-esque in a way. I, guess. I remember when Michigan State beat that Louisville team, I remember the supreme relief I felt because I knew, like, I knew that guy was going to, like, tear us apart on the boards all night. And yeah. so, and like he's he's maintained that despite like not getting playing time in the NBA, it can be hard for dudes to like maintain that like level of mental focus it takes and persevere. So you know, just credit to him sure. for that. He turned it into and turned it into more fuel when he got on the floor. I, I like Montrez. Montrez. Montrezel. All right, last but certainly not least, uh, coach of the year. This one's tough. This is tough. Give me your give me your top five. Uh, it's only top. I only have top three. If I had to go top five, I'd just uh, I'd start nitpicking, and I don't want to do that. So I have, I have Casey I number one. I have Pop number two, and I have Brad Stevens number three. Uh, Casey got Casey got his two ball dominant stars to buy into an offense based around ball movement and sharing the load offensively, um, and like that that enough is like coach of the year like worthy. But like in addition to that, yeah, he like coerced his bench of like a bunch of kids like unheralded kids into like a legitimate like playoff weapon and then like he did Mm -hmm. and like on top of that like he did he was going to be fired like there were legitimate rumblings that like he was going to get fired after like another playoff disappointment and so like to respond in that way to me like that shows like he like he definitely was like coach of the year for me um and Pop and Stevens kind of share the, like, I did the most with the least Coach of the Year award for me. Um, Pop without Kawhi is, uh, I think that team, that collection of talent is a little bit worse than uh, the Celtics without Gordon Hayward. Um, because you still get 60 games to Kyrie. No one like Kyrie is on. Well, I guess you have like LaMarcus, but like that's not quite the same type of offensive talent. And so um, right. being able to shepherd both of those teams into the playoffs uh, with like a distinct lack of talent, I think that uh, that that that's what earns my coach of the year vote. But like, there's so many good coaches in the NBA. Like Quinn Snyder's not there. Like Eric Spolster is not there. Like Brett Brown, yeah. what Brett Brown has done to like make a play of one in four out offense, but the one in is your point guard who can't shoot and like have it be effective. Yeah, this is like amazing. You know, like there there's so many good coaches. I mean, yeah, Nate McMillan doesn't get enough love either, and and like. This has been a great year for coaches. I like your list. Um, I mean, one for me is Quinn Snyder. I don't think he'll win it, but man, did they? I mean, Utah's a three seed. Uh, no, Four they're seed. five. I think they're five because they're playing on the road in OKC right now, so they have to be at least yeah, five. Right. Yeah, they're five. I don't know why I just said. Well, four, no, I think if if they won in Portland the last game of the season, like they would have been three. Yes, that's what it was. Okay. It was still stuck in my mind. So nobody expected – I don't think anybody expected Utah to make the playoffs. Um, if they did, it was eight. Um, the way he just kind of gave Donovan Mitchell free reigns I, th- I thought was impressive to do. 
just get the fact that he saw something in him um, and there was just that spark there and it just be like to get, I don't know if he's the one that kind of, I don't know if it was much convincing to the rest of the team. Like, Hey, like we have this young guy, let's, let's run through him or if the team was just close enough that they understood it. Um, obviously defensively, they're an amazing team and that has to, that starts with Gobert. But I, I, you always hear stuff about Quinn Snyder. Like people say he's one of the best coaches in the NBA. Like I remember this year, when they when the Pistons were starting to do that that motion stuff, uh, the motion based offense in the preseason and the beginning of the regular season, we asked Tobias about like some of the tougher teams that ran similar stuff that they always had trouble guarding, and he went straight to Utah. He's like Quinn, the stuff Quinn runs is is amazing. I think Kevin Durant's came out recently and and talked highly of Quinn Snyder. Um, obviously, he's a Duke guy, so it's a good tree. But I, I just been impressed with what they've been able to do. Um, obviously, yeah, that's not surprising. Considering they got murdered in Utah. Oh my gosh, dude, that was! I didn't get to see that game. I got to. I watched the highlights. Um, the, like, there I, were no highlights. Oh my gosh, like that was, and and the Warriors. What Clay played like thirty because they were trying to get him to average twenty. I remember. So he was out there for like the last. He played a good amount of minutes. Like it's not like they were out there throwing out uh, Omri and the. And Quinn Cook and uh, Swaggy, right. like they were, they were playing guys. Um, Wayne Casey's too. Uh, for all the points you said, back against the wall. Um, I, I think that's the biggest thing for me is because I, when I do the award, I tend to not necessarily give it to the guy who has two All Stars, um, which is, but Dwayne has found a way to make it work. I don't think they're going to – I still don't think – I don't believe in them in the playoffs. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they lose to Washington. Um, I don't think they will, but I, I just don't see them making it to the NBA Finals. I just don't – I just there's something about Lowry and DeRozan that when they get to the big show, it just it doesn't look good. Um, and then when defenses have multiple games to kind of key in on them and kind of make them work, they, they seem to wear down. But uh, what Dwayne's done has been r- remarkable. I don't think anybody expected them necessarily to get the one seed. Um, and then number three for me, and this is kind of my – just not to to add somebody different to your list, uh, Terry Stotts. Um, that was a team I thought was on the verge of maybe blowing it up and, and either trading Dame or CJ to see – to go in a different direction. And not only did he – also Dame having a remarkable year, so you have to give him credit – give Dame credit for that resurgence as well. But I mean, what Portland turned into a, I don't think they were a top, were they a top 10 defense this year? Or they like completely, they like maybe the last 30 or so games were like a top 10 defense. Like they turned on the switch and whatever it was, they, they were able to kind of just knuckle down and buckle down on that end. And it just made them more dynamic. And I think Stotts was another guy that might've been coaching for his job and to continue to, to get what he gets out of, out of CJ and Dame, and I'm still just not a fan of the everybody else around them. Like, I just don't think that team – like, Shabazz Napier, to me, was, like, the third person. Like, E.T. had a pretty good year, but, like, Shabazz's emergence was big for them. Um, and I I just think what he did with his back against the wall and to turn that team into uh, at least an adequate to above adequate defensive team was impressive. Yeah. the their pers- I watch a lot of Portland because I'm a huge yeah. game stand. And, like, their personnel is, like you're, – you're running, like uh, – Al Farouk Aminu and like Mo oh. Harkless, like Myers Leonard was in and out of the rotation. He integrated, he did a good job of integrating like Zach yes. Collins, 
who like who's I I didn't I don't know how good he's going to be, but this year he was not that great. But like he never looked like completely overwhelmed, and I think that a huge credit for that is Terry Stotts coaching. Um, Shabazz, I, like Shabazz, could like legitimately get some money in restricted free agency this offseason because of him and Terry Rozier, like those two, like call it the Reggie Jackson Award, like the bench guys that like might be the next ones to like try to run some teams. Those are two dudes that I wouldn't be surprised if, if some teams go after that need point guards. That would be funny if uh, Shabazz ends up back in Orlando after after they let him go for a song <laughs> for, for way that more money. That sounds like something that Orlando would do. So I like trading <laughs> Alfred Payton for a second-round pick. So we'll see how that goes. Man, I don't know what's going to happen there. You see he cut his hair? Or like there's a rumor that he cut his hair? There's like a, Is there a picture out? There's a... There was an Instagram post of a barber like holding a huge chunk of like hair that like resembled his. I did see that, but I didn't. It was kind of like quick scroll, and I was kind of doing something else. I didn't know that was his. I'm gonna have to look this up now. I hope he cut it. Yeah. I don't know how he can yeah. see. Those were like blinders, man. The the one layup in Brooklyn where they had like the shot of his hair just like completely covering his oh eyes. Oh my god! Like, oh yeah. Okay, that's like, not great. That thing is just like I don't even know what it's called. Has he ever, like, what is that called? Like, that's not, like, it's, like, high-toppy, but it's not, like, there has to be a name for that. Are we just going to call it the, the the Alfred? Like, we need a name for that hairdo, whatever it is. The, I think you have to call it the Alfred, because I don't know. I've never seen another dude with hair like I've that. I've never seen another So, like, at that point, like that. it's your hair. It's, I respect it. Do you, EP? Do what you do. Because, I mean, without the hair, are we talking about EP? Probably not. True. Yeah, without the hair, he's just like that dude from Louisiana. Exactly. Louisiana Lafayette, he's just uh, just Will Bynum. Somebody that, unless you're like around and paying attention to whatever team he's on, you just don't know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. That, that's pretty much it. We covered a lot of stuff, and you were very generous with your time, and I appreciate it a lot. Thank you so much, James, for coming on. Oh, man, thanks for having me. I literally have been doing work until like 7 30 and have been locked in my apartment with nobody to talk to so i'm glad i forgot this was today until like 6 30 and then i'm like oh i get to talk for an hour and a half last so i'm always down to talk hoops man anytime you need me i appreciate you having me on and uh yeah enjoy your off season i know thank I know you it's a break for you for the fans as well yeah i mean we're, we're still going to do some stuff i'm going to enjoy the playoffs um, and not just like imagine it's like, oh, well, what these teams look like if they're playing the Pistons? No, I'm not going to think about that. I'm just going to enjoy them for what they are. There you go. That's how you should do it. Time to be a fan now for me. Time to turn on some basketball and not have to worry about how I'm going to break this down or worry about. That's the one thing that kind of just to leave it on this. Like, I'm was like a league pass like every night, like one or two games a night. Like I was, but after like covering a team, when you come home or you have an off day. You kind of now use it as like background noise. Like you don't, you want, you have to go out and see your friends. You have to go out and see your family because it's such a chaotic year. Like this was the one year where like I didn't sit down and watch like three games of Atlanta, like unless the Pistons were playing them, or like three games of Dallas. Like I had to kind of pick and choose the teams I wanted to watch because it was just basketball overload. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. So uh, you can follow James on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? It's like. Is it the, is the three in there or no? It's J L Edwards I I I for the third. Um, okay. Yeah. So th- there's the I I I. Um, if you're not subscribed to the Athletic, go to the Athletic Detroit. Go ahead and check that out. 
Um, you you absolutely should subscribe to The Athletic. I am not paid by The Athletic. I am not an employee of The Athletic. The Athletic is, in fact, a direct competitor of the website I, I work for. <laughs> However, if you value good content, you should subs- absolutely subscribe to The Athletic. Appreciate that, um, man. No, yeah, keep up the good work too, man. I enjoy reading your guys' stuff. You, Shams, like I, I, you guys do great stuff, man. Thank you, I appreciate that. Am I allowed to shout out Shams on this? I mean, I haven't had Shams as a guest. Like, I don't know what I'm gonna do with Shams, honestly. Like, what do I talk about Shams with for an hour for? Have you ever met him? Nah, not yet. I've never met him either. I thought we were when we were in Milwaukee. He was in Michigan, and we were gonna me, him, and Rod and Vince were gonna meet up, but. Yeah, I didn't know if I could shout them out. I realized that after I said it, but that would be an interesting pod. The two worlds collide. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be down to listen to that. Yeah, that'd, that'd be some like serious like fire and ice shit. It'd be, <laughs> it'd be like, uh, were you ever a big wrestling fan? Mm, sort of. Like the end depends of the on the time. Like the red and black, black and white, just coming together, and now they're enemies. It'd be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Enough. Enough nerd talk. Nah, you're good. WrestleMania was like two weeks ago, and people were like super hype about that. Yes. So once they stopped cursing and like doing grown up stuff, I was just like, everybody now is like celebrity wrestlers and like uh, not celebrity wrestlers, but they're like social media. Like their their gimmick is like social media. I'm a rock star. I'm just like, I need like blood and chairs and steel cages and tables and curse words and i'm like i don't i can't watch this anymore but yeah yeah you know what actually pulled me back in was like my wife was watching the reality show that like uh that the female like the divas were doing yeah yeah and it was like actually like kind of compelling so i was like maybe i should like check this out again it's like that's how i kind of got like, wrestling for that show like i know i have female friends who watch wrestling now because they watch that show Yo, that show was an effective piece of wrestling propaganda. I'll say that much. Shout out to Vince McMahon, man. Just keep getting them checks. Because he keeps figuring it out. That's a lot of checks that man's been getting for a long time. In like year 57, still getting them checks. Of like big checks. Like like prices Right 15-foot checks. Like I just keep grinding. Go until, go until you can't go no more, man. Uh, all right. Thanks for coming on, James. I appreciate it. Uh, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Um, I'm your host, Lazarus Jackson. Uh, I would say I will see you next week, but I don't really know what our schedule is like. So we will see you when we see you. Uh, Talk to you guys later.